Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show. Did we dread watching this movie? You be the judge. <laughs> I'm Trish. I'm Paul. I'm Julia. And I'm Daniel. We are going to be talking about a little movie known as Judge Dread today, the 1995 version. But before we get into the recap, let's talk about what everybody is drinking tonight. Daniel? So I am drinking a Sarnak Brewery Oktoberfest. Paul? I am drinking a Liftbridge root beer, which is named for the Stillwater Liftbridge since it's canned in Stillwater, Minnesota. It's gluten-free, non-alcoholic, no caffeine. <laughs> okay, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have a tough act to follow. That was clearly an advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I need to. <laughs> I, I am drinking Hawthorne and Hibiscus tea, which is very soothing because my tum is a little upset, so I didn't want to put any alcohol into it. The great thing about this, though, is that this tea company has um, little sayings on the on the tea bags, and the one that happened to be on this tea bag is the difference between a flower and a weed is a judgment. <laughs> that was appropriate. On point. <laughs> That's awesome! <laughs> well, I did not want to use any of my good liqueur and have it associated with this movie, so today I am drinking Mountain Dew Spiked Raspberry Lemonade. Spiked with prickly pear cactus juice. I've never heard of doing it that way, but, but then again, given what <laughs> Sean sometimes mixes together, that's positively pedestrian. Nah, I didn't mix it. It came straight out of the can. That's uh, a new thing they're trying, apparently. Oh, I, I, I think I think you mixed the can with the prickly pear juice. Oh, it comes just straight that way? Oh, weird. That is what the can label says. Yes, but does your can have a nice picture of a drive-in that says Stillwater on it and the little logo of the Stillwater lift bridge? I think not. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. My can is uh, a red diagonal and a black diagonal, and it has a picture of a lemon with, I assume, a spear of cactus stuck through it and a little raspberry off to the side. Think about sponsoring us, Mountain Dew, but I guess we should get back to the movie. <laughs> do we have to? Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, we've delayed as long as we probably should. So, Julia, would you care to give us a recap? Sure. Okay, so we watched the 1995 Judge Dredd. There has also been a different Judge Dredd made a few years ago, which I hear is better. I have not actually seen it. I have never actually read the comics this is based on, and uh, that seems sad because I gather that they're much beloved and that this movie does them zero justice. <laughs> but for the, the recap of this particular movie, um, 
Sylvester Stallone is Judge Dredd in a far future where apocalyptic events have happened and most of the earth is like a desert wasteland, but everybody lives in like walled cities that are mega cities. He is one of the basically privatized police who come out and sentence people on the spot and send them off to prison or kill them. And uh, it turns out this this movie is a very like carefully constructed three-act movie. So in the first half hour, we see him being a very efficient judge, because that's what they're called, these special police officers in our very product placement heavy future, which showed us things like Jack in the Box and Coors still being around. He ends up getting framed for shooting some people that he didn't shoot and sent to prison. So that's the end of Act 1 after the first half hour. Then the second act is him going to prison and then finding out that he's actually a clone that he was like made from a DNA sample to create the perfect super soldier, basically. And that his best friend from his school days was the other one of them and he turned evil. So he's learned this and then he finds out that of course his best friend clone who turned evil is back and he's the one who actually did stuff. And that's the end of act two. And then act three is the giant battle between Sylvester Stallone and his evil clone Rigo, Dread and Rigo. Meanwhile, there's, I hesitate to call it comic relief by <laughs> Rob Schneider. And I even more hesitate to call it a romantic interest played by Diane Lane. That's basically what we've got here. So, yeah, that's Judge Dredd. Also, at the end, I can only assume because it is such a beloved British comic and no one knew what this movie was going to be like, The Cure actually did a Judge Dredd song that plays over the Ed credits. So, The Cure is, is attached to this movie. I'm sorry for The Cure. They were. They also did a song for the crow, but um, <laughs> the crow was much better. Yes, yes, it was. Well, still, the soundtrack for this album still did fairly well, right? Or is this my imagination? I have no idea. How did the movie do in the theaters? Anybody know? Yeah, so its budget was about ninety million, and it made one hundred and thirteen million. It was not like a giant success. It did earn back its budget, I'm sure. On the books in Hollywood, they claimed it was a loss anyway. It was definitely not a top performer. It didn't perform as Highly as they would have expected, I think. I have seen the the more recent Dread movie with Carl Urban as Judge Dread, and that is a far more successful and superior film. That movie would not qualify for torture cinema in the slightest. It would it qualify for Shoot the Wiz, but not for torture cinema. Well, that's good to know. Okay, well, we may as well start into our our usual format of likes and dislikes, starting with likes. And since Daniel has never joined us for torture cinema before, he gets to give the first like. All right. Well, thank you. I actually saw the newer Dread prior to seeing this. So watching this now is actually the first time I had seen it. And definitely the newer one is far superior, but it it still had issues. And there were things I was disappointed with the newer one. And so one of the things I ended up really liking about this, the original or older one, is that they tried to... It was a weakness, but they tried to do more with it. And so the the newer Dread is more localized and 
contained in the environment that it includes. You don't really venture out as much, that I recall, from the main city and complexes. And so I really was enjoying the fact that you got to see a bit more of this world and the different levels of um, society within it in more detail. Um, and that, I would say, was what I ended up liking the best about it, that it was trying, at least, even though it failed horribly. It was trying to do more um, and show a lot of this world that they had either adapted from the comic book or were creating de novo. That's a really good point, Daniel. The more modern Dread is definitely a bottle episode. It really just takes place for a couple of short scenes inside that that apartment block that Dredd and his uh, companion judge, whose name escapes me at the moment, Anderson, get trapped in. Whereas this actually tries to show just how big Mega City One is and the horrible uh, blasted landscape outside, including uh, in- including the prison colony in Aspen. Well, I shouldn't say any more about that. But yeah, so yeah, this movie did try to go for a much wider scope and panorama than what the sequel. I, I wonder if the, the more recent movies are like, okay, going wide is bad. Let's go small instead and try and try to try to improve on that matters. Maybe I. And this this Judge Dredd also seemed to have a wider viewscape of even like the the ideas and the thoughts behind it. It seemed to pay more bigger attention to big issues. It did again terribly at it, but they tried to make it mean something and try to put something really heavy and philosophical about what you know justice is. And I didn't, at least I don't recall having much of a sense of that as much in in the newer one. And so by containing it in the newer one, I think they made a much crisper, better movie. But this one, at least, I should give it props for really trying to go out and make something even a little more deeper with an action film it does try to hit more thematic rather than a simple oh, let's let's stop the person and we'll uh, ju- judge anderson actually make the grade which is really the only stakes in the other one i mean there's just some hand waving about oh yeah this drug could be bad to get us on the street but yeah you're right that the newer movie doesn't even try to engage in themes that this movie ineptly tries to get at mm-hmm, exactly yeah, and this movie, I should say, um, it does appear to basically be an adaptation of the Return of Rico storyline, which was in the comics. Ah. Which, according to the Wikipedia summary of that storyline, Joe Dredd's clone brother Rico Dredd returns from Titan, seeking revenge for being apprehended 20 years earlier, but instead is shot and killed by the judge. This story introduces Rico and the penal colony on Titan. And so I don't know um, how that was handled in the comics, but my understanding of the comics seems to be that everybody loves them, so I'm guessing it's better than this. <laughs> that, to put it charitably, I, I mean, I understand George is basically... A comic institution in Britain has been for years, so since nineteen seventy seven, I believe. Yeah, kind of, kind of like um, Valerian in France, and look how mo- well that movie came out <laughs> successful. <yeah. laughs> okay, so basically, Daniel claims the attempted world building as his life. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> oh they, they went for it, and there were moments like the crazy family, you know that they. Yeah, yeah. there were some nice touches. So, Paul, that uh, may take away one of your usual likes for a movie. What do you have for us now? Uh, well, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to go with the usual like because I could have gone. I, I wanted to like the cinematography, but the outside looks terrible. The in, the interiors are cramped and flat. Oh, I, I should be talking about a like, not a dislike, rather than me griping about how badly this movie was shot. Okay, so it, it's going to seem like the slightest small 
like you can possibly imagine, but it's we get a sense of dread being more than just a faceless person, which it's a tiny little blink and you miss it moment in this movie. I, I know I'm, re- I'm really reaching for here because when his quote unquote romantic partner goes to look in his locker, she blows it open and starts searching it. There's a blink and you miss it pan at what's in the locker. And one of the things that's in the locker, strangely enough, is a set of Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I saw that. <laughs> that charmed me like, wow, Dread Reads Gibbon? Really? It makes sense because, I mean, because it ties in with the whole scene where it's like he goes through all these weapons and he says, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the law and he holds up the law. This is a literate dread, a dread that actually cares about writing and about thought in a way that he doesn't often come across on screen. And I mean, this movie tries to engage in some thoughts about what law and justice are and fails. But at least in the small touches, he actually seems to actually have a backing of actually, yeah, actually having some traps to actually care about these issues and having thought about these issues. And it makes sense given that Oh, I guess I guess we've gone into small territory. This is torture anyway. And that he is a clone, and that he was distilled out of the best of the judges. So it makes sense. Okay, yeah. So the best of the judges. I mean, Max von Sydow, father figure, is clearly the greatest influence on his development and well-being. So okay, it makes sense that he'd like Gibbon. I liked that little bit. I mean, you just got. I mean, I I had to rewind to make sure I saw. It. Like, oh, that is Gibbon. At least they tried at least a hand-waving in the point of making more than just a, a faceless guy in in the suit, which I'm going to compare it to the new Dread, just like Daniel did. The new Dread, we always see him in the suit, except for one moment where we don't where we just see the back of his head. Otherwise, he's always assuming he's just a faceless suit. And we don't really get that much personality about him. We get a lot more about Judge Anderson than Judge Dredd in the, in the new Dread movie. Whereas this one actually tries to go for fleshing out dread. It doesn't work in the broad, but it works in the small, and that's my look. Okay. I'll just mention as far as spoilers go, I think part of our role here is to protect our listeners from actually watching these movies <laughs> themselves. Fair enough, Trish. <laughs> so I, I you know, we already did the recap. I don't think we need to worry about spoilers. But also, um, I uh, didn't really view it as uh, Dredd being interested in literature or philosophy so much as that, you know, the decline and fall of, of Rome had obvious parallels to the decline and fall of modern civilization as portrayed in the future of Judge Dredd. That's fair. So I think you may be giving them a little too much credit, but I'm glad you found something to like, Paul. <laughs> I had one other small like, guys, so it was 50-50, this or that, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Julia, would you care to share your like? All right, well, I'm going to go really broad in general then, because nobody's really done that yet, um, and say that I actually did enjoy a lot of the special effects and the uh, sort of aesthetic of some of the wide panorama of the city and things like that. Um, it was 1995. They were obviously using a lot of CGI. It did not attempt to look real. So it kind of looked like you were in a hybrid animated live action movie in some of the places. And I kind of liked that in a sort of sky captain in the world of tomorrow kind of way. It's a kind of thing that you could really only get <laughs> 
in that particular time, <laughs> I think. And um, but I did. I actually enjoyed some of the look of of the city and stuff. And I also particularly enjoyed the moment when uh, <laughs> the young cadet is looking at the picture of Dread as a child and is like, <laughs> "Wait, if this is the wrong picture, then why is it fake?" And then. He does the classic, like, enhance, enhance, enhance. <laughs> Except what he says is, I'm going to take away all the fake pixels. Right. <laughs> he takes away all the fake pixels, and the only real pixels are the baby. <laughs> the back to the future effect. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I had to rewind it and watch it twice. It's like as good as the point in whatever law and order or whatever where they have the computer programming uh jargon that is like i'll set up a gui interface and visual a- visual basic see if i can track an, a- an ip address which is like complete nonsense that if you know anything about any programming language you know is like really really nonsense and it made me so happy to see this like fake pixels <laughs> cut all the fake pixels and restore the real pixels so yes, special effects and the blatant disregard for how photos work. Right, that's not at all how it works. We all know that. But I agree with you, actually, on your point about the aesthetics. I enjoyed the cityscape. It, you know, it was a good effort at, you know, complex stuff going on. And uh, I, I enjoyed the uh, solid-looking scenery of, of the judging chambers and, you know, the, the dirty city and everything. Nothing nothing made me say that doesn't look right. It you know, it was a, a kind of dirty but solid looking city and I kinda liked that. Maybe I saw it on bad screen or just got a bad copy or whatnot because yeah, it looked muddy and flat to me. So maybe 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 I just Yeah, I think that was their plan. <laughs> no 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 but, but it didn't even look like that that was their plan. I mean like I said, yeah, the cityscape did not look expansive. The judging chambers looked un- unappetizing. Maybe I, maybe I did not get the full, the better cinematic experience that you two had to uh, appreciate, which makes 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 me sad because then I could have gone, oh yeah, the cinematography was decent, but no, huh. no, not the cinematography, the set building. Yeah, specifically, like the I was I was thinking more like specifically the special effects and the and the general aesthetic of what they were doing, not necessarily how it was filmed. But, like, what was actually there, both digital and real. Like having the Statue of Liberty just sitting in the middle of a traffic intersection, which I thought was... Right, right, yes. Yeah, and, I like, I, I really did enjoy the visual that, I mean, they tried to make it signify something that I don't think it actually managed to, but I enjoyed the visual of the, the final battle within the, like, the empty head of the Statue of Liberty with a hole in her head, so you could, like, see that Liberty has had a hole busted into it, and now there's, like, the law fighting the anti-law inside it. Yeah, I... But I've been in the Statue of Liberty. I've been to the top before they closed that. There's no room for that. It's not that big. There's no room for that <laughs> fight to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been to the top of the Statue of Liberty. You you can't have that fight there. But it was a fun idea, though. Yeah, but then it would fall apart. Yeah, like this movie. But no, I agree with Julia and Trish that 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 was another like the general aesthetic of it. I thought was actually it was very mid nineties ninety ish, but it it worked really well for the most part there are a few special effects that there were issues but yeah but like a lot of it did like i i didn't have trouble with like the the hover bikes and stuff those were kind of you know really oh wow 
they were fine. And then, like, they kind of, like, hung a lampshade on the fact that they were kind of crappy by, like, telling you up front that they don't usually really work. So then, like, they can dismiss any shoddiness with the effects. I thought that was clever, like, by being like, but we already know these hover bikes don't really work. Like, it was fine. I think about it in, like, comparison to some of the other things that we have seen with terrible special effects. And I'm like, no, this was, this was all right. It was fine. I did not hate it on the, on the effects grounds. I, I found it less boring to watch on that ground than, like, a lot of the, the newer stuff, like the Transformers movies. Right. Yeah. Cause you could actually see what was going on in here. It wasn't just a massive battle. <laughs> Yeah, you could totally understand all of the action sequences and you could see what they were going for. And it wasn't just like CGI robots making CGI dubstep sounds, which is like basically two and a half hours of that is a Transformers movie with some bonus misogyny and racism. Not that I am still angry about Transformers. <laughs> clearly not, Julie. You clearly have moved on. <laughs> Okay, so I guess that makes it my turn for a like. And I think that this movie knew what it wanted to be and went for it and mostly landed it. I like a movie that, you know, if it's going to be scenery chewing, it goes ahead and chews the scenery. I don't say I liked the dialogue in the movie, but there were some lines that were, although predictable, still rather fun to hear. Emotions. There ought to be a law against them. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Uh, I never broke the law. I am the law. And um, this room has been pacified. And we actually got some good lines for a couple of other people. The little weasel character said, Guilt and innocence is a matter of timing. Which uh, certainly in that movie was true. So, so yeah, I mean, um, this is not a great movie, but it's not pretending to be a great movie. And it pretty much delivers on what it was promising. Was it a boring movie? Yeah, I never saw it in theaters, and I wasn't surprised when I, you know, didn't really love it watching it here today. But uh, it's a simple little movie that has some points, and... uh You know, it's not ashamed of itself. Maybe it should be, but it goes for the gusto and, you know. It swings for the fences. (laughs) I won't say it delivers gusto, but hey, you know, it goes out there and tries. And it gave me a couple of smiles, if not laughs. So uh, there didn't seem anything too horribly horrible about it. I don't respect this movie, but I respect it for trying. (laughs) So I I feel like... The one thing I will argue with is that I don't think this movie does know what it's trying to be, because I I think it can't tell whether it wants to be taken very seriously or whether it wants to be an action comedy. And so the result is it doesn't actually do either of those things, but it kind of has moments where it wants you to buy into either one of them. But then it never actually supports that. So, like, you do have occasional one-liners that work. You said some of them. Uh, the one that I particularly enjoyed was when uh, you have the evil Dr. Ilsa fighting against the good doc- uh, Judge Hershey. And Ilsa is like, bitch! And Judge Hershey is like, that's Judge, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Let me just for a second say that I enjoyed Judge Hershey's name because, you know, <laughs> she's the sweet, good judge. <laughs> yeah, they went, they went for the obvious name there. 
yeah, I I agree that it it really felt to me like the movie couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Uh, from the same point of view of it was trying to be something with really intense hardcore action with lots of gore even, but then also have really deep kind of concepts in it, but at the same time these throwaway one-liners or or Rob Schneider. Oh yeah, Rob Schneider and like the. And I, from what I've read, it seems that it was a conflict between the director and the script and um, Sylvester Stallone really wanting it to be like more of a comedy. And so it really felt like, like it was trying to be too much and hit all of these different points of what a successful movie would be. That you have to, you know, have the formulaic three-act kind of overlying arc to it. That you need to have the love interest, even if it doesn't make any sense. You need to include, like, the fight between the two women at the end, because that's what one does. It just seemed to, like, it was trying to hit all of these notes and be way more than it possibly could be. Yeah, but I don't mind it trying for all those notes. I don't think it did a good job at it. I just kind of enjoyed that it tried. You know, I thought it was too predictable, but I have actually seen more boring movies than this. Yeah, I've definitely seen more boring movies than this. and I've seen much worse movies than this for torture cinema on several occasions. Like this was not (laughs) by any stretch the worst torture cinema movie we've watched. It's not Birdemic. It's no, I loved Birdemic. Birdemic was great. I know, I know. I had, I had to bring you down. <laughs> Birdemic is wonderful and terrible, um, but it's like I feel like this is not. Certainly, it's not any worse than the Fantastic Four movie that we watched. Either of the Fantastic Four movies that we've watched. I only watched one of them, but this one is much, much better than that. Yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> drag as much because it does actually stick tightly to. It's like an hour and thirty six minutes, so it's like a little bit longer than the ninety minute sort of action movie time, but not too long. It's not going to be like your two hour Waterworld, two hour <laughs> and change goes on forever movie. But I will say that. When Stallone kisses Diane Lane at the very end, just out of the blue. Excuse me, she kissed him. Whatever. There's a kiss. <laughs> and Rob Schneider is like, <laughs> don't take her away, her agency. <laughs> Trisha's got a point. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter who kisses who. The point is, Rob Schneider says, I'm probably a better kisser than him. And I like actually out loud at that point was like, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to give you that one, Rob Schneider, because that just had zero chemistry at all. That was a bad time to take a sip of my beer. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. This is the torture cinema lifestyle. Just get used to spitting all over your computer, because that will happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I guess since we're heading in this direction anyway, it's time to actually talk about dislikes. So... <laughs> We'll start again with Daniel. Well, I'm going to skip over the really obvious one, I guess, that he's already been mentioned. But um, the one part that I really didn't like was that that bike chase scene, because that was the one point where it really felt like the special effects really lagged. Prior to that, I was really quite impressed with the special effects and the fact that they were doing shots of all these flying cars, really expansive shots of the of the cityscape and giving it an atmosphere um, that it really surprised me during that, that bike chase scene of it. You could see like the black lines around the actors and around the bike. It was just very evident that it was a fake scene way more than, than other ones. 
but also what struck me about it as I watched it, it's so much of it seemed just like a rehash of the speeder bike chase scene in Return of the Jedi <laughs> that I just kept waiting for the Ewoks <laughs> to come out from one of the buildings and like jump onto these speeder bikes, like swing down from the rope. Because there's a few shots where they're like right next to each other and it's the same shot where they're ramming the speeder bikes and looking at each other and then... Um, I, Stallone gets up and jumps off onto the other one and throws off the, uh, I guess it's the other judge that's on the other speeder bike. And so all of that, it's, I don't know if I'm reading into it too much, but it, it almost seemed like an homage, but for some reason it just really bothered me during that scene that they were shooting it so closely to something that's still sci-fi or arguably, but it's it's a very different kind of universe, right, than what Judge Dredd is. And so that, that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I watched it. I felt like it was like a direct call out to the to the Ewok speeder bike scene. I'm glad I wasn't alone. <laughs> and I, I would like to state for the record that this movie would be improved at least a hundred percent by the addition of Ewoks. If Ewoks had like shown up during the speeder bike chase scene and like maybe killed and eaten Rob Schneider instead of those cannibals in the desert that didn't eat him. Because we know Ewoks are cannibals. I mean, well, we know that they will eat people, right? I mean they could eat Rob Schneider and then that would take care of two problems. We'd have cute <laughs> fuzzy Ewoks and we'd be done with Rob Schneider. So uh, if anybody wants to make that cut of Judge Dredd from 1995, skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Rob Schneider is the hacker. And so without him, you have no way of like defeating the robot because defeating, you know, things like robots is just like hacking into ATM. Are, are you saying that our Ewok friends couldn't take down that robot? They could totally take that robot. Oh, that's true. You're right. If they stayed in the movie that long, yeah, they could with their little traps. Like the logs that came together that could have smashed the head of that robot. Yeah, well, just imagine that they've transported the entire California Redwood Forest of Endor. Maybe we can get some uh, fan support to uh, fund the recut of this movie for that. <laughs> National Park Service, call us! <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that that it it is a minor thing, but that's one thing that it it really got me bristling when I was watching it. That's totally fair. No, I didn't think that that was actually like I don't know that I could say that that was high quality. I just didn't mind watching it, and I was specifically like thinking a lot when I was watching that scene about uh, some of the terrible floating vehicle chases that we saw during Highlander Two. Oh God, you made oh. me think of Highlander Two. And I was like, I really don't hate this as much as I hated that. This is great. It's all relative. <laughs> it really is. I've, I've been blessed. I haven't seen that yet. Daniel, don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> For the love of all that is holy, don't. Okay, so I guess we can move on to Paul's dislike now. Okay. Um, I should say, there are actors with long-established track records in Hollywood experience in this movie. And by and large, they all are awful. I mean, I'm they, I, I'm going to give Stallone a pass because Sylvester Stallone is Sylvester Stallone, and I'm not going to mention Rob Schneider because we all we all hate him and his character with the the burning passion of a of the scorched, cursed Earth. But the rest of the cast, which is a fairly decent set of actors, 
really do poorly. I mean, Diane Lane has no chemistry with Sylvester Stallone whatsoever, and I wasn't quite sure what, what she was really supposed to be or what her arc was supposed to be or where her character was supposed to go. She starts up fearful and ends up getting into a girl fight? Um, that, that, what? The two main villains, God help us. We have Armand DeSante and Jurgen Perch now, and you, you would think, in a rational, real world... That with those two guys as the main villains, you would have some something really good and two people that can outact Sylvester Stallone, which admittedly is not a high bar, but they could do it. But Armand Asante turns into this shouting, gloating, weird. I mean, is he, is he supposed to be the clone of Sylvester Stallone? Help me out here for a moment. Okay. Sidebar. So if I understand the plot of this movie, the reason why Dredd got framed and got was going to be sent to the prison is because... Rico shows up and shoots the two reporters, and it shows Stallone's DNA. Correct? Yes. Yes. And that's and and that's that's why Judge Dredd is convicted and he goes off. So therefore, Rico has the DNA of Sylvester Stallone. Correct? Correct. Yes. I know exactly where you're going, and I have the exact same problem. Yes. Yeah, like, in <laughs> what rational universe does the same DNA produce Sylvester Stallone and Armand Asante? <laughs> Okay, but, like, let's take this a step further. Rico's grandmaster plan is that he wants to reinstate the cloning program, but instead of using the other DNA sample, which created both him and Sylvester Stallone, he tells the program to take his DNA. So it's a bunch of clones of him. But he has the same DNA as Sylvester Stallone, so... How does he know what those clones are going to turn out like? Because couldn't they just be like anything? They, they could. Did you notice? I, I I looked at the clones as they were coming out in there. Happy. One of them was a woman. It's like, I and my my bro my brain broke when I saw I was saying a female cross between the best just alone and Armand Desante. Oh my god, that's evil. I I kind of actually would like to have seen what that would have turned out to be, but. They don't even spend enough time on the cloning sequence. But I've got, I, 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 and, and having those clones actually, yeah, actually be something more than just like incomplete zombies. But I, I, I getting back to my main point, and it's just like, okay, so Armin Asante's acting all over the time. George and Perch now, who I think would be a decent actor, I love In the Mouth of Madness. I can see my copy standing there, and he plays Sutter Kane in that movie. So it's like, okay, this will be fine. He's really good in that movie. And here he's, yeah, it's like, what is your, so your plot is to take over control of the city with these clones, and you don't know either, as you said, said Julia, what are you going to wind up with? Even if you get the, from the best of them, you still might wind up with the, with more Ricos, because Rico has the same DNA as Sylvester Stallone, so your plan makes absolutely no sense, and you can't, you're not acting here either, are you just, are you just trying to catch a paycheck here? I mean, even even poor Max von Sydow doesn't really who we we all love in and and in Star Wars doesn't really seem to really be enjoying doing anything in this movie. I mean, I think he's almost relieved when he dies. <laughs> it's like, oh, good, I can, I can get out of this because he almost dies once and then he dies a dies a late. It's like, okay, I have to I have to spend the rest of this movie. It's like, I mean, is any they would actually have fun watching this? I mean, I'm. Actually, acting in this movie, and then, and then okay, okay. So, well, I, mean, I, I, I know my my topic. What really brought us? I'm not quite sure why evil chick is evil. 
So we start off, so she's working for Jersey and Perch now, and she's been happily making clones all these years. And so Perch now dies, and she's suddenly Rico's best friend? How, where was the character beat that explains that? Anybody? There was no development, but I, I was under the assumption, at least, that she was just someone that was because she was the scientist in charge of that program, of the Janus program, that she was just devoted to her creations. And so that she was going to support them no matter what is kind of how I got. And she just wanted to do more with that program. But that might be just me giving them lots of, you know, a a story to rationalize it. I had the impression that she was, um, well, there's, improv building is always fun, of course, but I also had the impression that she was sort of uh, seduced by Rico's magnetism. <laughs> <laughs> there there was the thing where he came into the lab or whatever, and uh, she realized what his plan is, and she was kind of looking at him. And then the scene cut away. And the next time we saw, saw them, her outfit looked more low-cut to me than it had been. There was quite a lot of chest showing. I So my, my idea was that she basically decided that this guy was super alpha male and she was going to hitch her wagon to his. Okay, then. Okay, I'll accept it, Trish. I'm going to try to buy it, but... <laughs> I think that's what they were trying to sell. It to sell. It makes as much sense as anything else. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so yeah, my, my, dis- my dislike to sum up is the terrible acting in this movie from start to finish. I didn't even mention Rob Schneider or Sylvester Stallone. I didn't have to. <laughs> Okay, Julia, tell us more about what you hate about this movie. Okay, so like I'm going to follow up on that uh, and say that I can understand both Daniel and Trisha's desperate attempts to put motivation <laughs> into that character. <laughs> but one of the main problems with this movie is that really there's very little motivation for any of these characters. And there's very little to hang on to. Like, it kind of makes sense if you squint really hard and apply a lot of your own reasoning but not really and that's one of the things that makes it kind of boring is that it's like it's a tightly tightly packed three act movie which is very regimented and those things should have more attachment to them but there is there's a fundamental problem with motivation and it just kind of like you don't know what to focus on you don't know who to care for or about I guess you're supposed to care for Judge Dredd, but they don't really give you anything to care about. I guess you're supposed to want him and Diane Lane to have a romantic time together, but they never give you anything for that. Uh, there's really no reason for her to be at all reaching out to him, which she does consistently. Uh, we don't actually see a lot of emotion from him in response. And like, it's not even like we don't see a lot of emotion from him, but you can tell it's seething under the surface. It's like she's basically talking to a block of wood and then kissing a block of wood. And I'm pretty sure Rob Schneider would have given a better kiss in that situation, even with his like gut wound. So yeah, like I, I don't, there's not a whole lot to hang on to, which is the main reason why like during this movie, I kind of like at some point during the first, it was still in the first act. It was like, 15 minutes in or less, I just kind of went down this rabbit hole of reading about Judge Dredd on on my phone. 
And at some point, like, I realized I was so into reading things on Wikipedia and other places in the internet that I had completely forgotten to pay attention to the movie at all. So I paused it and I was like, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to have to rewind and like go back later. But like, first I'm going to listen to all the different songs that different bands have made based on Judge Dredd, which there are a lot, like uh, the Manic Street Preachers, the uh, Madness kind of had a an alter ego group called the Fink Brothers that made a song. Uh, there's Anthrax did one. There was a Finnish metal band. But uh, the Human League, the, the people who did this song, Don't You Want Me Baby, uh, they, they have a Judge Dredd song. There are a lot of people with Judge Dredd songs. And of course, The Cure, who plays over the end credits. But um, my favorite... And my favorite thing that I learned about uh, today is this Finnish band called, uh, I'm going to totally butcher the pronunciation of this, Neluamet, and they are a Finnish Ramones punk band. They took their inspiration from the Ramones, and they brought the genre of Ramones punk to Finland. And they have this Judge Dredd song called... Tuomari, which means judge. And it is fantastic. And I listened to it like three times in a row. And then I was like, I have to actually go watch the movie again. And I don't want to do I just want to like, rock out to Tuomari again. So now I know how to say I am the law in Finnish. <laughs> Mina Olin Laki. And I also know how to say the judge comes and the judge judges in Finnish, which is totally the chorus of this song. Luck, lucky you didn't have to say this to uh, police officers when you were in, at Worldcon. No, but I thought it was super appropriate because we just came back from the Finland Worldcon and it was so great. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is also when I want to take a, a little shout out to like all the people that I met at the Finnish Worldcon. Some of them are actual Finns. Hello, Finnish listeners. And some of them were Swedish. Hello, Swedish listeners. I especially like special shout out to our, our Swedish fan, Linnea, who really likes the torture cinema episodes and who then like invited me to her planetarium. I'm I like I was like what we have we have international fans you guys what cool <laughs> yeah who knew awesome <laughs> I I did not know uh, but then I met some of them and they're really cool and also like now I know a, a little bit about Finnish Ramones punk which is great uh, and, and my Finnish my Finnish phrases have risen from thank you and sometimes good sometimes bad ducks which is from the Finnish Ducktales theme to I am the law and the judge comments and the judge judges. So my finish is like A plus. Um, but yes, this song is available on YouTube. You can totally see it and all of the lyrics. You can put those lyrics into Google Translate and you can see what they mean. You can learn how to say these things for yourself. I will say again, the song is called Tuomari, T-U-O-M-A-R-I by Ne Luumet. That is N-E and the new word L-U-U-M-A with the two dots over it, E-T. It is not called an umlaut in other languages. In Swedish, but they don't call that an umlaut. So uh, they told me it's two dots. So I don't know what they call it in Finnish, but I'm going to go with two dots. Anyway, this is a long way of saying this movie, the motivations, the pacing, like it, it's a tightly packed thing and it's not as boring as it could be, but like it's still terrible. I know I usually talk about women and there are problems with the women, but it's just like Everything else is kind of lackluster. They kind of did an okay job. It kind of sucks. The women don't have that much agency. There are more women than I would have expected. Mleh. They, they, um, they, they vaguely 
passed the Bechdel test. He kind of, I guess. <laughs> if you squint at it, like, like most of the things, if you squint at it. If you squint at it, yeah, it kind of <laughs> does. I, I, like, And then, you know, Diane Lane gets into a girl fight, which is like, well, why does she have to get into a girl fight? But okay. Um, it, it's like, it's not the worst. It's just not the best by any stretch. Um, and that's kind of how most of this movie was, which is why it was a little bit hard to want to watch. And instead I listened to finish Ramones Punk <laughs> a lot, but, uh, finish Ramones Punk is great. They also do a cover of Blitzkrieg Creek Bop by the Ramones. So you nice. can actually listen to that, um, in Finnish, which is <laughs> great. Ne <laughs> Luam Lu Mayet, my, my new favorite Finnish band. Maybe they can do a theme song sometime. Uh, they haven't been active in several years, so uh, pity. So I don't know, but I'm gonna listen to their whole back catalog now. So that's <laughs> great. <laughs> so I have a question as a follow up to the 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 comment that you made about the lack of motivation of all the characters. I totally agree with that, but mm-hmm. I'm. It made me wonder: Does anyone think, or can anyone think of a character that actually went through any kind of arc in the movie? Because as I'm thinking about it, it seems like everyone pretty much with maybe Max von Sydow, but most of them seem to be just, they didn't really change much. Dread's supposed to change. I think the movie wants to have changed from faceless, lack of no connection with the rest of humanity, just pure law to having a connection with Diane Lane and realizing he's part of the community. Because, because at the end, he decides not to be a head judge. Like, I'm a street judge. It's like, basically, this movie, as far as I can tell. But he always seemed to be no, that. No, to no, me. But I, as far as I can tell, this movie tries to basically deconstruct and then reconstruct Judge Dredd. And, and that's what this, that's what this, that's the only thing resembling an arc because we strip him of everything and then he gets it all back and, and he's re, he's reified as what he is. But, but now he also has uh, Diane Lane as his girlfriend, so all's good. So do you think he's actually going to apply a little more mercy or or consideration of extenuating circumstances now? Is he reformed in that way? Or is he going back to unemotional? I think so. Be- God, now, now I'm thinking about the future of this movie. God, I hate you, Trish. <laughs> I, I didn't get the sense he would. I, I, I think I get the sense he would because... Because of God help me, the Rob Schneider character experience. Because the Rob <laughs> Schneider character keeps needing him. Like, well, yeah, it's like look, look, yeah, look what following the law did. It got me in trouble. It got you thrown into prison. It's not everything. And I think Judge Dredd by the end internalizes that and realizes, that, especially because of what he's just been through with his brother. So yes, I think he's going to be um, to quote to quote the comic, tough but fair. In this in, in in this movie, he's tough and not fair. I think. To, oh my god, I'm thinking way too much about this movie. No, 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 but, not, <laughs> but the, the tagline of of because I, I I remember this image of the comic and Judge Dredd's got this guy and he's like wide eyes and he's looking at the, he's looking at the viewer. He says he's tough, but he's fair. But most of this movie, especially the first act, as Julia said, Judge Dredd is tough, but he's not fair. I mean, it's not fair. For him to uh, sentence uh, Rob Schneider's character to five years for hiding in a bot to avoid getting killed in a firefight. That's right. So I think by the end of this movie, he is going to be tough but fair. That makes sense? Yeah, well, and we're supposed to believe that Diane Lane is the person who turns him around there. Because she, in that first scene, 
when he sentences Rob Schneider to five years for hiding in a bot to avoid being killed in a firefight, she says, haven't you ever heard of extenuating circumstances? And he brushes her off. Um, and then there's like a scene, uh, there's a scene later in that act where she's like, haven't you ever had a friend? And he's like, once I judged him. Uh, and that friend was Rico, his clone brother, uh, who is like, apparently he didn't realize was super evil pants until they were out of the academy. I don't know. Uh, but Rico definitely doesn't have an arc. I guess we're supposed to buy into the Stallone arc. I don't really see it happening. I think Max von Sydow has the most of an arc of anyone in the movie because he does seem to sort of like go from worrying about burying the the project and worrying that Judge Dredd might have done something to then like standing up for him and going off into the desert and then dying and I think he's supposed to have some thoughts about law and justice that change over the course of his character's life it's not a great arc but I guess it's kind of there if you squint at it yeah yeah like a lot of this movie you have to do it a lot. <laughs> you do of have to yeah. do a lot of. Sc- I feel like the the character that probably has the biggest arc is that ABC robot, because it goes from being <laughs> a piece of junk in a junk shop that's a collector's item <laughs> to being an alive killer that is working for the man to being basically some kind of uh, betrayed horrible thing because it turns out working for the man actually not a good choice robot. <laughs> because you get taken apart by Rob Schneider. Yeah, and it gets pissed, which is natural because, I mean, Rob <laughs> Schneider pisses a lot of us off. I have a lot of sympathy for that robot. <laughs> okay, so for my dislike, uh, we've talked about the lack of motivation and stuff. And there are a lot of big logic problems with this movie. But what really dragged me, kept dragging me out of the movie over and over again were little logic problems. And, you know, it's one thing to be in a movie and wonder about the world building and, and uh, have have you be wondering and trying to extend the movie. But this just kept jerking me out of the movie. Just from the very beginning with how absolutely thrilled Rob Schneider looked to be going to Heavenly Haven, and I was wondering, how has he not heard of this terrible place before? Isn't he from Mega City? To the name Mega City, which uh, I even a bureaucratic council would, I, I have trouble believing that they would name something Mega City 1 instead of, you know, the Boston Atlanta Metroplex or, you know, something, something with character and history in it. Let's see, to how happy the block war participants looked to be in- <laughs> instead of angry or anything. It was like, yay, party! Um, it, it, okay. Um, I was extremely bothered by the special undercover reporter who kept popping up on screen <laughs> and explaining things. How is he supposed to be undercover? Someone explain that to me. No, don't bother. <laughs> um, to, let's see, what else? Uh, there, there was just thing after thing that kept pulling me out of the movie and quibbling. And, you know, it's... 
Uh, I understand that having four spikes go into a guy's arm to withdraw DNA is, I guess, a little more dramatic than just one needle going into his arm. Uh, regardless of how much you need it. <laughs> and and I, th- there were just so many little things that would not have taken much trouble at all to fix. I mean, there are big things like how in the world did people believe judge dread was was uh was guilty anyway with no hint of a mention of motive or anything like that you know just <laughs> how, how, how do they have a courtroom scene when they don't have a court system court <laughs> and how did how did diane lane know how to talk like right. a lawyer <laughs> okay so those are big problems but i can see it would have taken a lot of work to make something more believable there to and still get through your movie in 90 minutes but all the little things like the the undercover reporter and and the you know just things that kept popping me out of the action and wondering why the writers did this or that that was that was really one of the more frustrating things about the movie for me because it wouldn't have taken much to fix those things you could just take the word undercover out of reporter and say, you know, this is my <laughs> continuing investigation project. And that would then it would be fine. You know, just little fixes that would have fixed a lot of the things that kept jerking me out of the movie. Eat some recycled food, Trish. I think you'll feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for the environment, and it's not so bad for you. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read enough of the Judge's comics. Just a couple of bits and pieces. What in the world do they eat and where do they get the food? If most of the earth is a cursed, barren, blasted wasteland, how do they feed the 60 million people that live in Mega City 1? I assume that recycled is the same thing as soylent. Well, how do they still produce like the brand name drinks? <laughs> <laughs> right, they have the corn like, signs. The wheat fields or <laughs> where's the cores coming from? <laughs> the cores is obviously coming from Colorado where the Aspen Penal Colony is. That answers that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what all the penal colony residents do. They make cores. (laughs) Wow, they really are in person. Okay. And and that's, listeners, how we lost our sponsorship with cores. (laughs) Can we talk about how nice Rico's prison cell was? Like, I think he had one of the nicest little pads in the place. Yeah, it was roomy. It was clean. You know, I mean, granted, you had the guns in the force field. But yeah, yeah like th- that's relatively well off for a prison cell. It makes you wonder. Not just for a prison cell. I'm just talking about people living in this world. <laughs> well, we don't get to see any other prison cells, but they can't be that nice. And on the other hand, compared to uh, Heavenly Haven, it's positively <laughs> palatial. Like, Rob Schneider's got to be disappointed. If, I mean, if th- that's the typical person, so that he is definitely going down. I mean, it was kind of funny him seeing the pool. It's like, well, I mean, there's Heavenly Heavenly Haven. It's like, no. No, well, his character actually said, eh, you know, when he was being held up by the gang or whatever in his quarters, um, he said, still better than prison. So, yeah, for most people, prison has to be pretty awful. And that goes back to me thinking about motivations and plots. So... If we should take it as written, going back to the beginning of this movie, that that uh, Judge Jurgen Perchnow basically sets up Rico to be freed. Jurgen Perchnow didn't really think his plan through really well, or did he? No. <laughs> and 
how did he get the gun past the presumed security at the prison in the first place? Even if it was in a presence, like, why didn't they search that package before it got anywhere near the guy that handed it to Rico? Paul, Paul, no thinking. Please. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that with this movie. (laughs) You'd think a prison full of bad criminals, I mean, criminals not bad enough to kill, but, you know, they're still in prison, especially one of maximum security like Rico. I mean, he's got guns all around him. Wouldn't you want to search every atom of anything you were bringing into the room if he's that dangerous? I don't imagine every other prisoner has quad guns pointed at him all times, right? They are overconfident in their defensive capabilities against him or their ability to hold him. No, they're not, because, I mean, they, they got force field and guns. You think you're researching on stuff, too. It's like, follow through, people! But then we wouldn't have a movie. Well, you know, that's that's just the, the human overconfidence in tech when any one stupid mistake can foil it all. Like, you know, password one, two, three. It's it's a natural trait, sadly, to rely on your tech and not actually think about how vulnerable it is. <laughs> Plus, it was really important that he got that present so that he could deliver the, the stinging one-liner when he killed the guy. <laughs> what is the meaning of life? It ends. Courts adjourned. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of those fixes never got made in terms of the script and the the inconsistencies or the lack of explanations, probably because it, I guess, went through so many, a lot of rewrites and lots of different writers. And through that process, you know, getting rushed then at the end, presumably, that's the result. So any last thoughts before we go into our grades? I think I've spoken enough about this movie. Don't Get me to go, go ranting five minutes more about. So I did. I did. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you my other. I knew you had another thought. <laughs> of course, there's one little thing I did like. Again, it's a, something you see only for a second, and that's the map of the North America that we get to see. Did you notice it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the the, the whole coastline's changed. The, it looks disordered. You can see the couple mega cities in the Aspen Peanut Colony and New Texas, like. Okay, so they actually have a map, and it looks like the Earth really is crap. Yay. That was my alternate, like, if someone had taken, if someone had already taken uh, Gibbon. I do think if you totally turn your brain off and just sit back and get immersed in it, it, it is a fun movie. Uh, it is not the worst thing. I actually didn't really find it that boring. It was predictable, but... Maybe it's because I was so exhausted after a day of teaching or something. <laughs> but uh, that mindless crap just was fine. And it was it was still something that you could watch and enjoy and see and understand, unlike, say, Transformers. And so it, it was still fun. So I'll give it that. Yeah, I would say that Like I can totally imagine uh, that Jen probably watches this a lot and has seen it multiple times and has a soft spot for it. And unlike some of the other movies that Jen watches a lot and has soft spots for, I can kind of understand why. Because you could put this on in the background and basically ignore it, and then occasionally pop up and be like, what is the meaning of life? It ends. (laughs) Bitch, that's doctor bitch to you. (laughs) And like, just kind of ignore everything else, and you'd you'd probably actually have a decent time. Yeah, it's fine for doing laundry, too, or whatever, my my usual, you know, standard. It's it's fine to have on in the background. So I think now we got to grade this thing. That's right. And so once again, first, first at bat is Daniel. 
Hmm. I've been wavering between I'm going to go with my teacher's instincts and because I'm, I'm harsh, bad cop, I'm going to go with the D+. Plus. Okay. Paul? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to agree with Daniel. It's not the worst thing we've seen for torture cinema. You could put this thing on in the background and it's not going to uh, hurt you that badly. I mean, it's only if you start thinking about it and just how things don't make any sense and yeah, so many other things. So I'll, TLDR 1.3, a D+. Plus. <laughs> and Julia? I mean, as grimdark, post-apocalyptic movies go, it's certainly no Sons of Steel. <laughs> few things are. A few things are, and it did have its, it, it had its moments, and it also brought me to the joy that is Finish Ramones Punk. So I'm going to give it a C plus. I'm going to bump that D minus up to a C plus just for being a, a vehicle through which I discovered Tuomari by Ne Luomet. And now I can say with conviction, Mina Olen Lagi, which means I am the law in Finnish, <laughs> by the way. You have to say it like that or else I think you don't sound like a judge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I've been hovering between a C minus and a D plus. It's it's hard to make up my mind. Uh, but although there were there are a lot of stupid things in this movie, uh, you know, little irritations and things. There are things that I mildly enjoyed about the movie, and there was nothing really horribly, you know, there there was no horrible sexism in the movie. There there was weird motivations that you didn't understand but you know this could have been a lot worse movie than it was it's definitely better than fantastic four as i said and it's better than eon flux i think which is you know another really bad movie i saw i think it a waste <laughs> of the actors and talent poor pete it was there was a lot of waste in this movie but i can't quite see it as a d movie so i'm gonna give it a c minus so we have D plus, D plus. It, it could have had the C minus for me if it weren't for that goddamn Rob, Rob Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just can't. <laughs> sure, that's fine. So I guess we're somewhere, um, I guess I guess that would make it a C minus overall grade. Yeah, I just, I just figured out it comes out to a C minus. Okay, but Daniel, like, fair play though. Rob Schneider did fix the microwave and he can give you some popcorn. I don't know where he got popcorn <laughs> in his desert world, but he can give it to you. We did get to see him get shot. I mean, <laughs> yes, that's yeah, but he <laughs> And I really don't like popcorn. I'm an oddball, so <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that about wraps it up for this installment of Torture Cinema. Thank you all for letting me join in. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for being here, Daniel. And thanks, as always, to Paul and Julia. Thank you to our magnificent editor, Jen. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And I gotta say, like, I feel like we kind of have to end this episode in, in a tribute to Alex, who really would say this if they were here. You're welcome, citizen. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly.
thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at SkiffyInfanti at gmail.com, on Twitter at SkiffyInfanti, on Facebook at The Skiffy Infanti Show, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash SkiffyInfanti. Our intro and outro music comes from The Launch by Cronux. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.